and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two friends compulsively and separately learn history stories and then come together and drink a lot of booze and tell each other those same stories. I might be the only one drinking the booze, and I'm Teresa. I'm not drinking the booze, and I'm Angie. I still have to drive. Welcome. You're at your own house. Why Why do you even have a bra on at this point? At some point, I have to go collect a child. Oh. Okay. Rude, right? I mean, you're making good life choices. Okay, so I know that I made the mistake of letting my daughter listen to a podcast talking about my subject, and that resulted in her immediately needing to FaceTime her dad so that she could verbally dump all of the info she had just learned. As you do. Mm -hmm. So this story has been burning a hole in my pocket. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Go. (laughs) Okay. Um, What do you know of the voodoo queen, Auntie Julia Brown? Nothing. I'm so excited. Okay. So, okay. It's early 1900s. I cannot wait to hear how, I'm sorry. Go ahead. How kiddo jacked this story up. (laughs) I mean, so she basically starts telling my husband this story. And then stops and hands the phone to me, which means that she recognizes that she doesn't necessarily have enough of the details organized. The the details are all there, but they're not organized. And so she's going to rapid fire them out in not the chronological order. order, And that is going to cause listeners to struggle. Um, And so she just hands the phone to me and she goes, finish. (laughs) I love that. And I'm just like, all right, well, we're going to back up a bit. And I start telling the whole story. Um, Okay. I'm so excited. So really, I'm going to tell you the part that she knew. Okay. Because this story comes in two parts. So in the early 1900s, there's a black woman named Julia Brown who's living in Frenier, Louisiana. And Louisiana is a small community. It's uh, 28 miles outside of New Orleans. This Frenier that you're? Yeah, Frenier. Okay. Frenier was originally founded as a town called Schlosser, which started as a German community. And when it started, it was established by the Schlosser family. It's where it gets its name. And it was established as a lumber town. And if you look up Frenier, Louisiana, it's going to come up in Wikipedia as a lumber town. But it's also going to say that because the lumber trade and industry grew just so competitive, that the residents shifted from lumber to growing cabbage. And they That's export- a good turn I didn't expect. <laughs> I know. Well, again, they're German. So they right. exported both cabbage and sauerkraut from basically New Orleans to Chicago. Which oh. I didn't see coming. And apparently they were selling it just to make things even more convoluted to the French markets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't see sauerkraut going to French markets. Like, so there's a bunch of, you know, complicated stuff there, but it's happening. Now, Julia Brown is a black woman known as Aunt Julie to the locals. And early on, she's well-received as a faith healer. They have a, a technical term. A, I'm going to butcher the French, trateur, which is a folk healer in Louisiana tradition. Okay. 
And it's the closest thing to being a doctor in the area. And after she establishes herself, because she moves from New Orleans to Frenier, she expands her care to include uh, midwifery. And she begins to use whatever knowledge and material she can find to really care for these local residents. And as time passes, things shifts, and the, the townsfolk describe Julia as lonely. In reference to her voodoo practice, they start to refer to her in her older age, like in her late 70s, as either Julia White or Julia Black. And they're really playing off her last name being a color word. And it truly implies how they view she's practicing her faith. Okay. If she comes to your house to heal you of a cough, you're going to call her Julia White. If you call upon her to place a hex, you're probably going to refer to her as Julia Black. Can you and change so, throughout the week? I mean, so when you <laughs> search her name, when I first heard her name, I, I heard her as referred to as Julia White. Okay. And when I looked up Julia White, I got results for Julia Black. Okay. okay. And when I kept digging, it was Julia Brown. Okay. And so I it, this this has been a fun research thing. Now, some sources say that they were so far removed from the modern societal infrastructure that they didn't have law enforcement. And since they didn't really have that level of community support, that that was Julia's job. And so if somebody did you wrong, you went to Julia and Julia placed hex on that family. As you do. And so that was kind of a very interesting thing. So while the community views her as lonely and they they seem to ostracize her, she seems kind of nonplussed. She would sit on her porch and play guitar and sometimes she would sing predictions in her song. So imagine you're rowing in your little boat past her house. She's sitting on her porch and she's singing songs. And sometimes they have lyrics that pertain to your future. Hold on. Earlier, you made a reference to Mother Shipton. Before we hit record, I know. I'm, well, okay. I'm sad I didn't. I didn't catch the connection. I should have been like, "Ha ha, she's gonna do a voodoo priestess." <laughs> so let me pause a second because I realized I didn't give my sources, which was very weird of me. Um, my my sources are the podcast Morbid, The Curse of Manchek Swamp, Deep South Magazine has an article, Julia Anti Brown debunking her voodoo priestess mythos by Solia Sonia Alexander. Mental Floss, The Legend and Truth of the Voodoo Priestess Who Haunts a Louisiana Swamp by Best Lovejoy. La Observer has an article, Voodoo Queen and the Forces Unseen. A retired lieutenant clears the air about Julia Brown legend by Loria, by Laura Luquet. Luquet? Luquet. We're going to go with Luquet. Okay. Um, so in the Morbid mo podcast, they refer to her as the big bad. And... That moniker was granted to her because of how often she'd share impending death or illness. So you're rolling by her place and you're just praying like hell that she ain't even on the front porch because you hear that guitar going, oh, that Angie, she's going to get cancer. Oh, that Angie, she's going to lose her hair. You know, like it's just not something you want to hear. Yeah, no, thank you. So one day the townsfolk or somebody in the town goes by and they hear her singing, when I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me. When I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me. Okay. And it's late September 1915, and the, the neighbors realize they haven't seen Brown for a couple of days, and they start to kind of worry about her. Not in maybe the, 
I should really check on my elderly neighbor because she's 69, but more in the like, ah, crap, my voodoo queen is gone. This cannot be good. Right. We don't have a replacement. This doesn't bode well. Hmm. So you heard to... what she was singing last Tuesday. Mm, those those weren't happy lyrics. Yeah. Okay. They weren't church hymns. And <laughs> so when they check on her, they realize that she's she's passed. She's a, she's not on the census anymore. And it's either out of reference or out of reverence for her, their healer or fear of her prediction. The whole town orchestrates this massive funeral. They realize like some some theories recognize like, oh, you know, we just haven't we just haven't done right by her. You know, okay. She hasn't been invited to the cookout. She hasn't I mean, gotten to peruse our sauerkraut offerings. <laughs> and others are like, you know, she did say that when she died, she's going to take the whole town with her. But maybe, maybe um, this is going to be like a loophole in the prediction, kind of a, you know, Thane of Condor. I was not born a woman. Um, maybe we all just show up at her funeral and that will suffice because she is going and the whole town came with her to the funeral oh yes yes yes. okay okay so this is kind of what they're doing so i understand this so september 29th 1915 townsfolk from several of the towns because frenier has kind of two auxiliary towns you know in that in that region um they come including some people all the way from new orleans and in the middle of the ceremony a category four hurricane picks up out of nowhere the storm's so severe that people flee the funeral. They actually leave the the corpse in the house. And throughout the course of the storm, 125-mile winds hit landfall, and the waters end up rising 13 feet. Okay, okay. So at some point, I don't know if these were funeral attendants or just townspeople, but 25 people sheltered in a train station ended up dying when the train station collapsed on top of them. Oh, gosh. When the storm cleared on October 1st, the towns of Frenier, Ruddock, and Napton had been entirely destroyed. We're talking homes flattened, buildings demolished, and miles of railroad tracks been washed away. One of the few survivors later described how he'd clung on an upturned cypress tree and shut his ears against the screams of those drowning in the swamps near him. Oh. It wasn't until... I know, this is not positive at all. It was, it's not until two weeks later that folks from Ruddock, the, one of the neighboring towns, are able to actually come to Frenier. And when they come, they see a bunch of things dra- like draped over tree branches and things and you know stuff bobbing in the water. And that's when they realize that they're looking at human bodies. In all, 275 people died. And oh. The earthquake of 1950 caused $13 million in damages in 1915 money. Wait, it was an earthquake? Sorry, hurricane. Did I say earthquake? Yeah, I was like, wait, I thought you said it was a hurricane. Hurricane makes more sense for that area. Hurricane. So the category four (laughs) hurricane, I see, I try to do it again. So the category four earthquake, damn it. The category (laughs) four hurricane hit that region and cost 13 million in damages um any guesses on how much money that is in today's money it's got to be at least 100 million at least 396 million 12,178 dollars and 22 cents basically 400 million that's 
insane. It's not a little bit. Um, right. Yeah, no, not at all. So, like, and when you listen to anything about Julia Brown, that's what you hear. You hear all of that. When I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me. You sure did. And so that got me curious. I started thinking about a couple of things. And so I kept digging because as I'm wont to do, and some of that digging got me to open up other things and learn more. So according to the U.S. Census records retrieved through Ancestry.com, Brown is born as Julia Bernard in New Orleans in 1845. And it's in 1880, 1882. I had conflicting sources there that she married a man named Celestine Brown. Celestine is a laborer from Texas, and he receives a 40-acre plot of land by the government to farm. Now, when I heard 40 acres, that specific number triggered something in me. And so I started digging, and I'm not quite sure if that land grant is a result that he was granted from being freed from slavery as part of the reconstruction of the Civil War. You know, the the concept of 40 Mm -hmm. acres and a mule. Um, But either way, he has this land granted by the government. It's when Julia Brown is in her 40s that she has three children. She has Matilda, born in 1887. I'm assuming this is an acronym because it's S.E., born in 1889, and a son, William, born in 1891. So they go to school and they worked. One grows up to be a tie maker and one grows up to be a cook. And I I don't know about the third child. Okay. Um, these children are grown by 1915. And it's about by this time their parents had died. Um, I don't think I include this in my notes, but Celestine actually dies in 1914. Oh, okay. And so it, previous to this moment in the story, my brain had her very much alone in the world. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. And that's that's part of her mythos is that she's alone. And okay. if you hear reference of her husband, it only seeks to enforce the alienation that she had among her community. That she might have had this one positive tie to the world, but now he is gone. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's if he's mentioned in in the stories at all. Um From census records, we know that both Julia and Celestine are literate on top of being landowners. Get it. And that's incredible because I've gone through my own ancestry and realized that, hot damn, my family's own farms here and there. Like you can see that in the records, but they weren't literate until the 1930s. Right. And so to know that they are black, literate, landowning, in 19th century American South, this is incredibly unique. And it, especially when you realize that the region that they're in is mostly German immigrants. So is there this, now you said they're 28 miles outside of, of New Orleans? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I, I wasn't living there at the time. At the When you think about it, you're like, oh, that could be a world away or that could be just down the street. Right. And most of the mythos you hear around her talks about how since apparently it was impossible to get there and you can only get there through boat, it might have well been, New Orleans might have been on the moon. Okay. Um, so there could be a very different um, socioeconomical strata with which to work with because we exactly. know that like, you know, New Orleans at this time is the melting pot of American culture from and by American culture, I mean the melting pot of immigration 
Um, but when you go into one or another, right. But when you go into a migrant community, whether it's Italian, Hmong, German, it's going to be, it likely is very insular. Right. Especially when you're leaving city limits. Right. You get, so I'm going to assume that this 28 miles away is, like you said, a, a moon away. And right. Very not. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Socially cohesive, I guess. Yeah. Amongst, amongst people groups. We like to refer to the U.S. as a melting pot when really it's more of a salad. Yeah. You know, melting yeah. pot implies just a we lot all... of cohesiveness. Whereas it's like, no, there's an entire tomato over here. Yeah. The salad okay. before you mush it up. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so this this implies that the family, the Brown family, really stood out. And it's hard to, it's basically not a stretch to imagine that they experienced their fair share of racism. This is the Jim Crow, Jim Crow South. Right. And in many of the stories about Brown, you know, we mentioned that she's lonely. Um, and the town, that she really feels the town uses her for her gifts whether it's for healing or voodoo, whatever it is. And as the the mythos develops, as the story progresses, that she begins to resent the townsfolk because okay. they only need her when she's there to birth their baby. But after that, it's like, no, you're, you're good. You're good. Right. We're, we're, we're going to speak German. You know, you don't know German. Goodbye. Um, and legends also start to tell about how Brown was feared because of her powers, because one podcast that I listened to, I didn't include it in my notes, but they talked about how if she started really practicing voodoo as a child, she would have a large amount of time to develop power and strength where most practitioners start in their twenties. Right. Okay. And so she's just, she's basically 70 years old by this point. So she's had a large amount of time to gather more and more power and learn more and more about the spirit realm and how to interface with what she's working with. And people tend to fear her because of this. And I mean, I get that white people are afraid of a lot of things. Now people tend to be apparently polite to her, but odds are in reality, they just don't interact with her much and official census records. Cause of course I dug that far. They don't really mention any of Brown's voodoo work. But <laughs> I want to find a census record that has voodoo priests as their day job. I mean, could you imagine <laughs> you you knock on the door and it's like, um, I do you live here? Yeah. What's your age? What's your name? Who else lives here? Okay. Uh, are you literate? Yes, you are. Okay. Do you own this land? You do. Congratulations. Uh, what's your occupation? Voodoo priestess. I'm sorry. My mom called. Cell phones haven't been invented yet, but they are. My mom yeah. has one. <laughs> uh, my mom is on fire. I, I will I will be back. Good Have day a great to you, day. Madam. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that said, in one of the things I was able to track down, there is a modern New Orleans voodoo priestess with the name Bloody Mary, because of course there is. And she tells Mental Floss that she found references to a voodoo priestess or queen by the name of Brown who worked in New Orleans around the 1860s before moving out to Frenier. Oh, okay. So there is a possible tie in there. You know, hold that as a question mark because there's other things we're going to clearly rule in and clearly rule out. And then Brown's song, that's documented. There's, you know, a longstanding oral history account from longtime resident Helen Schlosser, so the original name of the town, Helen Schlosser Berg recounts that 
Aunt Julia Brown always sat on her porch and played her guitar and sang songs that she'd make up. The words to one of her songs that she sang was, one day she would die and everything would die with her. So, I mean, just a happy lullaby. (laughs) And while the mythology around Julia Brown's story leads us to believe that it was a cloudless day and the storm came out of nowhere, we actually know that a a newspaper arrived in Ruddock, the neighboring town that was connected via the railway, the day of her funeral warning of the storm. And residents were likely unaware of how massive the storm was, but there was a clear warning that it was imminent. Imminent. Okay. And there's a book called The Day Time Stood Still, The Hurricane of 1915. Helen Schlossberg, Helen Schlosserberg, um, remembers Julius. This is the same woman I just recent or I just referenced that she was just a nice lady who sat on her porch. Everybody liked her. And there's no evidence of people of her visiting the family members of the community to treat their ailments because some of the legends will have you believe that she, you know, got in, got on her boat or got, you know, walked on foot to all of these homes door to door to treat people. Okay. And so that was sounds she suggesting miserable. that they came to her instead. Well, it's very interesting. And that kind of leads me to the next point. Brown's healing powers and work as a community faith healer are, you know, this is the main thing that really surrounds her lore. But during Brown's lifetime, the town of Frenier wasn't what we think of as a small town. It's it's kind of more as a settlement. It Imagine that all of the houses are five to six blocks apart. Okay. So walking it's to your neighbor's walk. house, that's, if you're walking just to your neighbor's house, okay, maybe, but you're not walking to the other side of town, right? Right. Now, there's also no cars or roads in the area. So on a practical level, this would have been quite difficult. And also kind of wouldn't have been lucrative because you just can't visit enough people in a given day to actually make this work. However, if you are going by boat, that is much quicker travel in that area. Sure. I don't doubt that. But you're also imagining of like, well, what if there is no waterway that directly connects and you got to what carry your boat? Like, I don't know. I just park it and then walk to the rest of the way. Either way, they're they're basically saying that 28 miles in 1915 isn't as long of a distance to New Orleans as we would hope or as we would think, you know, because we're like, oh, 1915, that was 300 years ago. And they're basically (laughs) like, like, no, New Orleans is pretty (laughs) close. They were still building pyramids then. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, we were making our own paper. Come on. Um. (laughs) But they're, they're saying like New Orleans is close enough that that's fairly easily accessible. And while she might have been helped for the or kind of helped her community for the odd call, basically like any other human would do, they're not really seeing that as, as a thing. And basically, they're saying that if she needed to make money as a faith healer to support herself, she'd have stayed in New Orleans. Right. Because people can just come to you there. Right. And you're not having to travel to the back 40, the literal back 40. Much of- bigger. Uh, population to work with yeah now unless there is some reason you would leave new orleans i'm so sorry my brain is like now you're spiraling yeah sorry (laughs) no you're not wrong because like oh my god the mythos around this woman is incredible yeah i'm 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 writing a book right now in my in my brain (laughs) so in the in writing the book the day the time stood still uh 
author Wayne Norwood believes that he's actually the origin of all of these myth truths about Julia Brown. First off, the myths of her being a voodoo queen, a voodoo priestess, those are historically inaccurate and they don't appear until 2010. Oh, okay. So almost 100 years later, that checks. Right. I mean, that largely, you know, hey, we found a grain of truth. We're going to exploit it. Um, so he writes this book and he tells the story of the hurricane from the perspective of Helen Schlosserberg, who survived it. And quote from him is he says, Helen lived four miles from where the railroad track was. And her and her daddy used to go to Frenier plenty of times and they would stop and talk to Brown. After the book was published, television producers visited Norwood intending to film the program about the storm of 1915. Hmm. So, you know, you can imagine this. You got TV producers there. In the book, I talked about Julia Brown. They said, look, can we just say that she was some kind of voodoo person or something? Norwood said, I don't care. You can. It's just a TV show. And they did that. And oh, now... okay. So now we've just created this quote-unquote truth that is quite possibly very far from mm -hmm. okay that's because right. she was just a black landowner in louisiana who sang this very creepy song right before she died i mean get it i guess i mean like i've sang a lot of creepy songs but none of them have come true but they would you know like if a hurricane came <laughs> like how many times have you heard somebody you hand like my mother-in-law, when my daughter was born, would hold my daughter. You're so cute. I could just eat you. That cute aggression. Mm -hmm. That's very innocent and playful until you're on a mountain pass and people are starving. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> and then it's like, damn, that cute aggression is real dark right now. You're looking like a snack and in not the way you think I mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to snap into you like a Slim Jim. <laughs> I now see you as Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> I want nothing less. That's He's my great abs. He really does. And great hair. I mean, for a time anyway. I mean, it was very dated. <laughs> He's living his life, man. Now, Helen goes on to say that um, she was no kind of queen or nothing. That's That's the quote from Norwood. So you can just hear like the Southern. I won't even try to do a Southern accent because I just won't. Um, she was just a nice lady who owned several acres of land back there. And the only thing she did was play guitar and sang that song that came true. <laughs> and the Deep South magazine, they they said it best. I had to just like copy paste because they say the evolution of Julia Brown's story might on its surface seem like harmless folklore. But the way her identity has been altered and served to permanently shift her legacy from human being to other as most black people have been de designated throughout history, she's been transformed from housewife to, I'm going to use their phrase because I don't, but I don't like it, magical Negro. Yet another addition in the canon of voodoo sensationalism so prevalent in Louisiana. That pretty much nails it. Right? Like, so Frenier doesn't exist anymore. It's a ghost town. If you, because you can drive out there, you can go to its remains, so to speak. It's comprised of dead lumber, cypress trees, and a muddy swamp. And there's a lone railroad track that runs along US Route 51 in that area that has the track that used to bring the goods to the people of St. John the Baptist Parish. And it's honestly the perfect location for any ghost story. 
It's desolate. It's steeped in tragedy. It's neglected. And oftentimes you think about those building blocks, right? Where you just have that grain of truth Mm -hmm. where it's part of the cultural narrative and you don't necessarily understand where that grain of truth comes from, but the ghost story emerges from that and you accept it as, as complete truth. But there's one thing that we really know. Julia Brown is no ghost. She's a real person. She suffered loss. She loved, and she actually had a family and all of the speculations about her are a word I learned which is lanyap, which means a little extra. I love that word. Isn't that? I would like to be lanyap for the rest of my life. Thank you. Mm. Just a little extra. <laughs> no, yeah. And it's, it's spelled just like you think it is. It's L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E. Yeah. Lanyap. Yep. That's how exactly how I thought it was spelled. Yeah. You sound it out. <laughs> and there is, if you were to Google image search, Uh, Julia Brown. I guarantee there's one image that would come up, but it's a scary lady. And I'm not even going to share it with you because there's no way in hell that it's her. And I'm not going to perpetuate that kind of mythos around this woman who demonstrated nothing but love throughout her life. I love that. But that's the story of Julia Brown. Thank you for rectifying the lies about her. I mean, because it started out like I mean, granted, it's creepy as hell. When I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me. And to know that there are like documented reports of her saying that and then dying immediately after in a hurricane hitting. And knowing that there could be her being, you know, having voodoo practices. But I don't know if you're going to necessarily lead with that, right? If you're part of a marginalized community and part of more of a demonized, under un- understood religion. You're not going to like, hi, <laughs> Mr. Schlosser, I'm Julia Brown. I don't look like you. I don't worship like you. And I worship who you probably assume is the devil. Like, you're not you're not going to lead with that. Typically, like, people don't. <laughs> you make sauerkraut? How amazing. I'm a housewife. I also like sauerkraut. Yeah. We have something in common. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, but if you need me, I can help you deliver your baby in a pinch. Yeah. You know? Ugh. But that's the story know everything of Julia about Brown. her now. We're going to have to, we're going to have to road trip it to New Orleans, I think. You know, I don't know if we could find out more or less going to New Orleans. Well, because, I mean, just in that area, we just need to pay a visit. Like any self-respecting tour company, there is a group who bought the land of Frenier and you can do a tour and learn about Julia Brown. Um, small problem. When you go, they have a cemetery. Um, They're the ones who put up all the crosses. And they also put up Julia Brown's marker 100 yards away from everybody else. Now, is that where the location of the the mass burial for the townsfolk as well as Julia Brown? Absolutely not. How would they know? Let's don't go on that tour. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? But that's the one that they have access to because they own the land. So you can go to the land where she lived. She walked. I believe her house is still standing. Oh, wow. But like the mythos is largely what what remains. As with all good stories, which I guess is what makes them legends. Mm. So what's your story? 
you're going to hate me. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to hate me because I thought you were going to be like, oh, hell yeah, voodoo queen. Oh, da, da. By the way, it's a hoax. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, this in my opinion is not, sorry, um, a hoax. In my opinion, this is writing history's wrongs. Mm. Um, so while I do love me a good voodoo queen story, I would love more than that to hear the best actual representation of that woman. Okay. So while I said that there was one Reddit ghost story and the Reddit ghost story, I I'm going to paraphrase it, but I'll at least tell you if you're looking it up on your own, um, the poster is Boobaloo the stink. <laughs> And okay, so Boobaloo the Stink at this time is pregnant and driving home from Louisiana to her mom's house. She or New Orleans to her mom's house somewhere else in Louisiana, unsure. Um, and they'd spent the night, seen the Mardi Gras parade, started driving home. Well, she ha- she's pregnant, has to pee. These are things. And they take the the Ruddock exit. And as they take the Ruddock exit, they're expecting to see a town. There's no town. They pull off and so she's just deciding she's going to go on the side of the road. She tells her her husband, hey, guard me, watch out for people, traffic, whatever. Alligators. Right. Like, you know, guard my six. And he starts like coming back over the truck. He goes, hey, we got company. And she's like, I'm I'm mid P wiping myself with fast food napkins as quick as I can trying to get my my drawers up. And she stands up and she sees this little old lady in a very disheveled house dress and no shoes. And she said, she's more than anything really affected by the smell. Like it was just a very acrid smell of this woman and her husband's trying to, Hey, you know, like, you know, talk with her. Like, is there something we can do to help you? Because she just doesn't seem quite right. Okay. And it's at that point that she you know, just kind of like doesn't necessarily engage with them. And the wife is trying to like, you know, be a buffer because the husband, he goes back and forth between being kind of broody to like, you know, being super like. Right. He's trying to figure her out. Yeah. Yeah. So they're both kind of working with it. And she ends up like gesturing for them to come with her to the boat dock to the swamp. And thank you, (laughs) you know, like the husband's like, no, you go wait in the truck. You go wait in the truck. And she goes like, hell, I'm gonna let you follow this crazy lady. Like, you know, she doesn't know this woman from nobody. She's just like, I'm going to be with you. Please. Thank you. And the woman points out at the swamp and she says, I took them all with me. What, What did you say? I took them all with me. And then she starts laughing. Oh, my. And she sees that they're pointing to a very specific spot. And so they look and they see something in the water. I can't necessarily figure out what it is. And she says, I took them all with me. She starts manically laughing and more and more bodies float up from the water. Ghost bodies. Bodies in general. Ew. Okay. And so they're, they're like, holy shit. Like call 911. And they call 911. You know, I've got a woman. She's identified herself as Aunt Julie. I don't know much about her, but hey, this is kind of what she looks like. I think she may have been involved in something a bit darker. There seem to be human bodies in the the swamp. Police officer comes. He takes both of their statements. Um, he's talking to this this little old woman, and he kind of sweet talks her into the back of his cruiser. Um, a second officer comes. He talks with them, 
and he hears her name like they said you know her she said her name was aunt julie and he like took back a second like he he knew the local legends right and he kind of gives him a little ration of crap for it and then he looks in the back of the cruiser and aunt julie's not in the back of the cruiser of course not why would she be in the back of the cruiser there's no bodies and that Mm. you know so it's a, a very convincing ghost story Right. Because you hear that and it's got all the hallmarks of, oh, my gosh, I would I would be soiling my pants. Thankfully, she had just gone to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> I'd, I'd find a second wind. Um, <laughs> but I mean, just like, you know, the, the concept, if I took them all with me. Right. Ooh, I know. And so but it's like, no, actually, just just a marginalized housewife. In a disheveled with, house dress. Maybe disheveled. We don't know. We don't know if that even the whole story is completely made up. It that that right it's the the source is Reddit. Take it for leave it. You know, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Reddit is the best source for um entertainment, not always credible entertainment. <laughs> right. Pro- probably less than never credible entertain- entertainment I mean, if we're being honest. If you refer to the Daily Mail as a valid news source, then Reddit's great. Yeah. I, yeah, you're Actually, pretty accurate about that, I think. <laughs> Creepy. Ew. I know. I love so, it. That was a good one. What's your story? Oh, do we have time for my story? We do. We have time for my story. Yeah. Um, I'd make time for your story, Angie. Okay, so um, <laughs> I thought I would I would pull one from the um. The what are we calling it? The lost, the unpublished. The lost yeah. episodes. Yes, I, I, and... the lost episodes sound good, which okay. means because they were so long ago, and they were very lost. <laughs> this is episode fifty, so they were That's at wild. least fifty episodes ago. That is wild. So this, I think, was um, your least favorite of my stories. <laughs> um. But it is really fun to tell. So, oh no, I don't know what this is. I'm gonna tell you the story about Alexander the Great. Ah, damn it. (laughs) Do you want that in your brain? I mean, because I could go a different direction with it. It's already there. No, let's let's do it. Let's do it. And now everyone will know why I why I yelled, ah, damn it. (laughs) So, um, I, I, I have to get. My sources are at the bottom of my notes today, so I've got to scroll. Give me just a moment. You do it. You do it. Okay. So um, keep in mind that I am not telling the true to historical fact story of Alexander the Great. I'm giving you the legend of Alexander the Great with historical facts at the end. So please know that one of my sources is Wikipedia for the legends because it's wikipedia and they're giving me legends right okay right so that's i mean one that... of them right tolerable um to- that's what i figured um ancientheroes.net it's a blog about all sorts of ancient heroes i this mean it's better called... than ancient aliens because if I you know. just if you'd come out with that <laughs> one backhand of justice <laughs> I would probably insist on the backhand of justice at that point. <laughs> um, this blog is called Alexander the Great and the Secrets of Zeus Amun. 
um, thecollector.com has um, a writing by Danielle McKay in reference to the Menads, the women of Bacchus. Now that actually sounds like a job I want. You actually do want that job. I'm telling you, it's glorious. (laughs) What do you want to be when you Uh, grow up? A woman of Bacchus. Thank you you so much. Largely (laughs) out of existence. No, no, that's what I want. You asked. I answered. You can go be an accountant. Not the job you have. (laughs) Yeah. I do not want to be a pharmacist. Please and thank you. Thank you so much. Um, A livis.org article um, regarding Plutarch on the birth of Alexander. World History's Maps, Alexander's Empire. And uh, last but not least, the Mayo Clinic. And I have updated information from the GreekReporter.com, which I am unclear how truly um, truthful that source is, truly truthful that source is, but they appear to be like a, I'm not going to say a blog post, but a daily cultural greek cultural um like historical background story thing like they are always looking for the next big culturally greek story right so whatever that is so they post often yeah yeah okay i'm not gonna call it like newsweek because i'm unclear of how famous they are or how relevant they are in greece but they have information and pretty solid articles from what i can tell so We've been putting um, the same sentence as Newsweek. Guys, it's time to party. <laughs> yeah. And that article is is written by Philip Chrysopolopoulos. And it was actually dated um, November 27th. So I'll get there. But wow, in that's the a meantime, new source. I know. So the Alexander the Great that we know was born in 356 BCE. Pella Macedonia, which is northwest of Thessaloniki, Greece. And as we know, he died June 13, 323 BCE in Babylon. And that's um, where I'm going to get super upset. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, he's known for all kinds of things. If you're, if you're new to history, if you're new to Alexander the Great. Um... If this is your first day on Earth and you haven't heard his name before. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he's basically known for his military conquests, um, which span from modern day Greece to northwestern India. And he desired the world. He held unwavering loyalty of his men and is considered one of the greatest military minds like of all time. Um, history has it. He's the son of Philip II and Olympias. But... I have some alternate, more fanciful stories out there that could be, the, most this likely is, are this not is true. <laughs> up there, like you're about to say some stuff that Hubs laughs hysterically at, references all the time in my house, which yep. is when you use Ancestry.com, you get sources <laughs> like, these birth records suggest that Sarah Johnson was your mother or your great-grandmother. <laughs> when you look at like, family tree in the app store that's free you get back to the 1250s and you're like you're related to a wood nymph and scamander the river god yep to which i always tell hubs (laughs) like how dare you talk like that to the daughter of scamander the river god i command respect and you will kneel (laughs) 
you should start just wearing the like a little like you know crown uh 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 what am i trying to say like a braided crown of foliage and leaves mm. <laughs> and then tell him you've entered your your uh scamander era yep <laughs> but anyhow for me all that to um, say that his origin story is in line of legend yeah so the f- the following two quotes are from from Plutarch, who lived some four hundred years later, but took a keen interest to collect the stories of Alexander and other notable individuals before his time, of which there are plenty to work with. So Plutarch was a pretty busy fella, but keep in mind that even Plutarch, who was much closer in time than we are, even believed his sources were sketchy at best. <laughs> uh, a quick Google will inform you that there are many legends and histories attributed to Alexander from the different peoples he conquered or came into contact with in many languages and disciplines, academic or otherwise. I mean, his his travels were so vast. The people he came in, it's unrivaled when you think about like their storytelling and what they have to say about him from so very far away, right? Mm. I mean asia to to greece and it's kind of like in my brain the same concept of new orleans to finir being a moon away because right in reality i guess asia is not so terribly far from greece but in in the ancient world it seems like it would be in the ancient a... world it's over a con it's a con it's the next continent over yeah it's the next like, continent over this but was they traveled a hundred years ago you know, for my story, and it was 28 miles. Yeah. Like, right? So, so I'm basically adding more credence to yours, being like, no, no, that's a world away. It seems so far away in my brain, right? So here we are. Um, So <laughs> here's some of the quotes from Plutarch. King Philip had a dream in which he took a wax seal and sealed it upon the womb of his wife. The seal bore the image of a lion. Now, okay. Did you do any more research on this? Because you take a womb or you take a seal, you seal the womb. Same question that I had the first time you told me this still stands. Is it on the tummy? I think it's on the tummy. Or do you reach up into the, t- the cervix? I feel like it's on the tummy. Because we're, the cervix we're... would make more sense. <laughs> well, but we're not talking about um, medicine that is so advanced we understand women's anatomy. So I'm going to say the tummy. I'm sorry. I'm unconvinced. I the wondering womb theory was <laughs> what made most really women set upset. you off, wasn't it? No, I mean, I mean seriously. Like we just clearly had no idea about women's bodies. So I'm assuming you say what you want, I'm gonna believe what I want, but carry on. Yeah, I mean, go with it. Whatever. Um, great, now I have to start again. <laughs> <laughs> the seal bore the image of a lion. The seer Aristander interpreted this to mean that Olympus was pregnant since men do not seal up what is empty and that she would bring forth a son who would be bold like a lion. No, okay. I'm, I'm butting again. Because the husband goes, she's pregnant. I'm going to put my ring on it. Now, all of a sudden, the seer's like, oh, she's pregnant. Yeah, weren't you listening? You know, 
these I think are two separate instances. The king put his seal on it and the seer took it as a symbology in reference to, well, you don't seal up something empty, so she must be pregnant. Like whether King Phil woke knew up she out was... of a cold sleep in the other town and went, Oh my god, I think I saw this happen in a dream, or that's what I imagine. This okay. is legend. We're working okay. with legend here. You know, I, I should really <laughs> quit. Like carry on. I mean, please do interrupt, but but keep in mind, we are not working with um, scientific fact here. <laughs> we are working right. with There's some... no timestamps and CCTV. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So the night before, this is also a quote from Plutarch. The night before they consummated their marriage, Olympus dreamed that a thunderbolt fell upon her body, which kindled a great fire whose divided flames dispersed themselves all about and then were extinguished. Now, okay. So take that how you will. We all know Zeus gets around. Yes, he does. And if you, had, if you had this dream, you'd be like, I wanted to plunder the wifey. Um, I did not realize Prima Nocturne was established hundreds of years before it existed. This is some bullshit. <laughs> but he's Zeus. So there's that. But not even a goose, not even a bull. We're just lightning i mean all right it's a thunderbolt maybe he was already in bed with somebody else at the time you know he just phoned it in yeah okay just yeah dropped into our dm real quick um so story one excuse my ums story one suggests that king philip looked in on his sleeping wife to find her laying next to a giant serpent the serpent there it is said to be zeus amun himself Zeus Amun is a hybrid-like god of the Greek Zeus and Amun from the Egyptian pantheon. So, threesome? Uh, no, he's like Hi- like a hybrid version, right? So you have Zeus, Zeus and then you 2.0. have Amun. Yeah. Okay. Like mold them together, and what have you got? You know that type of thing. Henry Cavill. Yes, there you and go. Who would you combine Henry Cavill with? Oh, um. You cannot say your husband's Egyptian. name. He's got to look Egyptian. Okay. So Teka Watiti? Um... <laughs> you know what? We'll go with that. That is absolutely not the name I was going to come up with, but I love that for this. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, who would you have come up with? I can't think of his name, but he played um, Odette Fair in The Mummy. The... Of course you would go with an actor in The Mummy. Of course I would, right? Okay. Yeah. These are things. That being said, Alexander in his lifetime would be synonymous with the name Zeus Amun. So um, whether Zeus Amun did in fact come in the form of a giant serpent to lay with um, Olympus, Olympus, then cool. But regardless, his name is going to be synonymous for life. I mean, and honestly, I'm not going to shame, right? Like, what happens between a consenting adult and gods is is up for, you know, like, whatever. Everyone's consenting adults or mortals, whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, Wikipedia says that the queen, in, in, her, in their version, laying with the serpent likely stems from the fact that Olympus, Olympias, excuse me, I don't know why I can't say that right, 
came from Ephrus and may have been involved with a cult that handled snakes. And this is where I was like, what is this cult? I say we don't do enough cult stories or references. We really don't. So, and that's really bizarre to me when I think of it. Yeah, given our, some of our story choices, <laughs> like I feel like we're cult adjacent. <laughs> I feel like you're not wrong. <laughs> We've probably like just glossed over them in in some portion of our story. Like, we don't know. There could be a cult of maple syrup. There could needs be. to be. Anyhow, carry yeah. on. So, like I said, I, I was curious about this snake handling group. So I looked it up. And what I can find is that there were groups of women who worshipped Bacchus, which is Dionysus, the wine god of time that we, you know, love, the wine deity of all time. The only mention of any snake-related thing besides them being a symbol of wisdom and fertility is a story stating that when the time came for the women to perform their duties, whether it was collecting wine or milking the earth for its honey. How? Um, it's cultish. I didn't, I don't know. Sorry, but just milking the earth for its honey? Like, I'm that assuming... That sounds like a really bizarre euphemism. It probably was. This is... Dionysus we're working with okay. here. All right. All right. Um, but anyway, so the only reference to snakes besides the, the fertility and wisdom that came from that is that the women were said to girdle up their dresses with snakes. So like the snake was the belt. Okay. And okay. I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that. But as far as what the rest of their day look like, these women look like they're living their very best life. <laughs> Girls, it's one thirty. We got to put the belt belt, the snake belts on. Milk the honey. Just saying. Milk the earth. Mm-hmm. Just pound it down. Just compact let's do it, it nice and tight. There you go. Um, I do have a really beautiful painting of of what they imagine these women were doing with their lives. If you'd like to see it, it's, it's it better be gorgeous. pounding the earth with snake belts. It's it's not. I'm really sorry, but it is beautiful. I can I can send it to you via text if you like. No, you better share. you share your screen. Okay. All right. Child, what do you so, think we're playing with here? Fire and snakes, evidently. Okay. So it's this right here. You Okay, so this is a um maybe I can make it bigger for you. Courtyard of you know, like the Grecian courtyard that you're imagining, it's got those marble floors, marble columns, marble building in the background. There's about a dozen women, half a dozen are just laid out, just completely relaxing. Like their job is to Netflix and chill without the dudes. That's like as ac 100% accurate. Yeah. Like the vibes they're serving of like, we are here to recover our mental energies on wine and cheese. Please. And thank you. And it looks okay. This is just my impression, but these ladies back here. So in the back, there's probably another, I don't, I don't know. I'd say 10 yeah, or 12 like, ladies. There's, there's a group of warriors. Yeah. And I'm getting the impression that they're, they're pondering. Can we join also? Yeah, like because <laughs> we didn't bring our purely white garments, but we could we could change. We could change. Like the the yeah. the warriors are are in different shades of white and green and gray and maybe blue. But like the priestesses of Dionysus, they are just relaxed and groovy. And uh, you they're got, living my dream. Right? I'm jealous. I'm going to be honest. The one standing up, she's like stretching like, oh, no, I just had the most delicious nap. Yeah. It's like 
I'm going to go to the fridge and get me a chocolate milk. You guys need some chicken nuggies. <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what that looks like. Uh, so I'm here for it. Minus the snake belts. Like, let's do it. I mean, Sign me you up. lost me at snake belts. But I mean, I feel like if it's Bacchus and I'm drunk enough, we can make that work. I guarantee you I cannot. But I'm just wondering if there's like a an adjacent group I can be a part of. Like, do you have the cowhide belts? <laughs> yeah, perhaps I could um, pet the cat. Is the snake you know still alive? <laughs> I don't care if it's alive or not. I don't have any. I mean, okay, like it. processed snake skin. I mean, you you wear cow leather. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay, so a snake skin belt. No. You draw the line at just same I... belt, different texture. Texture is where we're One... at. One hundred percent. I'm going to tell you right now. Just put this out into the ether. I would rather come walk upon a hungry mountain lion, a hungry bear, and a shark on the same trail before I even cross path with a gardener snake. No, no, no. But the snake is dead. The snake is processed. It is just alive a or dead. Doesn't belt. matter to me. Don't want to see it. Don't want to know it. Don't want to touch it. By the way, if I see a live shark on a mountain trail, <laughs> I have additional questions. I'm just going to, you didn't, you didn't sneak that by me. It took me a second to process, but once the audio processed in the brain, you You're got like, the question wait, mark. it's got feet? It's like, I'm just saying, Angie, like... how did the snark get the snark? How My snark, I know exactly how it got here, but how did the shark get dropped onto the land? Yeah, well... I don't know, but okay, maybe the bear swam out into the ocean with the mountain lion. I don't know, but here's the thing. I would rather rather come into contact with all three of them at the same time than even, like, accidentally cross paths with a snake. All right. Alive or dead. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Um, Please don't send me hate mail full of snakes, guys. (laughs) All hate mail can be sent to (laughs) Angie.Craig at gmail.com. You're the best. That's actually not her email. She was I not the first Angie Craig. <laughs> so interesting to speak of the women in this temple because Alexander was born on the same day the temple of Artemis, Artemides at Ephesus was burnt down. Plutarch remarked that Artemides was too preoccupied with Alexander's delivery to save her burning temple. Alexander later offered to pay for the temple's rebuilding, but the Ephesians refused on the ground that it was inappropriate for a god to dedicate offerings to other gods. Okay, first off, let's actually work through that last sentence. So you've grown up hearing, it's your fault the temple burned down, it's your fault the temple burned down, and you being brosive, go and just be like, I don't think this is my fault but I feel like a good enough chump that I'm going to pay for the temple and for them to be like, no, my dude, you are the dude and we worship you, dude. I think it has the same energy as your money is no good here. (laughs) But that (laughs) phrase has always bothered me because that could mean one of two things. Like you are so incredible. Your money is no good here. And you are such a worthless piece of crap. Your money is no good here. Yeah. I was meaning it from the incredible side, like, the way that it's written to me makes it seem like he is realized that perhaps this temple is burned, in fact, because the gods were so busy with his delivery and, you know, his monumental entrance into the world that he feels compelled to pay for the rebuilding of the temple. But they're like, oh, no, 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 we couldn't have you do that. It's so our blessing Z- that you burned us down. <laughs> Zeus and a moon bang his mom. Yeah. 
Artemis temples burned down. Yep. And everyone's like, no, we're good. You it's are super clearly chill. like just <laughs> imbued. You are perfect. Carry on you your golden child. Way. In fact, yes. Go burn that's... down more temples. Would you like some matches? Do your best. Yeah. Uh, another story goes like this. So there was an Egyptian pharaoh called Nekatenbo II. He quite possibly was considered a sorcerer too, and he was a real man. Um, he was defeated by the Persian Atraxerxes, and he fled to Nubia, where he was granted asylum. However, the unofficial story is that he actually went to King Philip's court and used astrology and some great storytelling to convince Olympias that a god would appear in the form of a dragon and she would conceive and bear his son. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. This is incredible. <laughs> I also have an incredible image about it, too. Then, through the power of some great makeup or transformation or whatever, he turns himself into the dragon and tricks her into believing he is, in fact, the god they spoke of. It has very Uther Pendragon story, King Arthur kind of conception vibes. Um, super here for it. The image that I have is glorious, and I will share it with you because the dragon makes me laugh so hard I cannot contain myself. Every time I see it, I cackle. Okay, so the dragon looks like, this whole image looks like it was drawn in the um, medieval century. This yeah, was, medieval ages. This it was, was so not... It started in 1468. This particular painting okay. is called The Conception of Alexander the Great. Yeah, but I say, this does not look ancient Grecian. This no. doesn't have those vibes. Um, the dragon has the nose of, say, a wolfhound. <laughs> and he is cupping um, Queen Olympia under the bosoms in bed. She has As, like, the golden crown on. I love that part. <laughs> I mean, look, if you're going to wear only something, one thing to bed, make sure you wear your crown. Actually, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Her cockholded king is looking in through the door as a complete voyeur, and the wolfhound-nosed dragon is like, what? We got visitors? Mind your business, sir. <laughs> and there's like, what is that? That's not a throne. Is that like a... um? I think it's just some sort of the chair. Bed. That that looks like it might serve as a um, dropping off the waist in the middle of the night sort of deal. I mean, it very well could. I think it's interesting that it's even included in the painting. Um, but I also enjoy there's so there's this very fancy red and gold filigreed wallpaper there on the left. But then you have this like marbleized wall behind them. But we're missing pigment because wife, yeah. dragon, bed, and hubs are all in grayscale. Whereas everything else is, is vibrant. Yeah, I think right. it's quite interesting. So we've we've lost some pigment. Yeah, we have. Um, so, I, that, like I said, that's one of my favorite medieval paintings. It makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, additionally, because of her appearance in paintings like this which I, I i find this to be really interesting it's used to bolster alexander's reputation as a demigod and not in fact used to villainize her whereas more often than not in this type of artwork the woman would be villainized you bang maurice you're villainized you you right. bang a god we are better shut up and listen yeah i mean it's, it's yeah exactly that uh, so that being said, 
our boy Alexander, like I said, he's born. He's doing his best gig. He's having all the fun, as boys do, commanding armies with elephants. I like how we, that we, nature. we trivialize it. Like, he didn't conquer the entire known world. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry, Alexander. I'm not trying to trivialize your, your work here. No, I mean, you're uh, fine. Your, your I'm not related legitimate to him. It's work. just commander. <laughs> your legitimate work, at least. I, but I'm here to tell the myth. <laughs> So, I like how I'm here to disprove the myth, and you're here to, like, in my story, you're here to be like, I'm gonna perpetuate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm here to, I'm here here's to the carry God it along banged. for another hundred years. <laughs> uh, yeah, here I present you the God she banged. Here we go. Um, <laughs> so, like I said earlier, his kingdom stretches from Macedonia to Egypt and from Greece all the way to parts of India, and that is just massive i have a great map but it's very easy to just google and and come across you can see the whole thing um additionally did you just let me google that for you no i have it i can show it to you if you want to see it i'm being a smart ass because you i don't know carry on do you want me to show you i'm being i'm being a smart ass i'm being a smart ass like just the phrase like the if you if you use the acronym let me google that for you you can create a um gif where you can like, sur- have you done this? No. Like, so if you're looking up like map of ancient Greece, you can type in the acronym, let me Google that for you. So LMG, like you do the whole thing. And then you type in the phrase and it will generate a GIF of Google and type <laughs> in that phrase and hit go. That's hilarious. So if you choose that. to troll friends, enemies alike, you can use that trick. I love that. Thank you for first spreading that's why i was like gatekeeping did did <laughs> did you just do that to me like verbally no like, okay no on. i was just meaning like i've already shown you some great images you probably don't need a visual of the ancient world you know what that looks like <laughs> so i was just trying to gloss over it but yeah no we are. i didn't did not gloss over it sorry <laughs> <laughs> so all that aside another fun bit of legend is that alexander's sister he did have a sister she could have very well been a mermaid or have become one at one point. There are Look, while we're talking about myth. Why not bring up the cousin who was just a fire demon? Yeah, why not? Right? Um however, like I could keep going with you on myths, but the point of my story is to tell you that while this man who Regardless of his parentage and how he actually came into the world, achieved so much in in his 30-odd years of life, um, his death was the most brutal of deaths we can imagine. And, and here and is where... Listeners, listeners I, I need you to understand, this is what I've been dreading this entire thing, because I remember this. I wake up crying to this. You know how some people think about Rome a lot? This is Teresa's Rome, but in a real negative way. <laughs> I didn't I'll know get... what it would be. I'm very sorry. I'll, I'll share why it was real negative for me. But, you know, in a moment of vulnerability. But carry on. <laughs> so the real story to our best of, to the best of our ability and not the legend um, is based on facts that have just recently come to light. There are many theories as to what caused his death, ranging from malaria to assassination and really anything in between. But what we know of for sure is that he becomes ill one way or another. 
and after 12 days, he dies. Or so we thought. New research suggests he suffered from something called Julian Barr syndrome. Guillain Barr. Guillain Barr. Guillain Barr. Sorry, I always I always say Julian, no, and don't I? You do. And the yeah. reason why I know it's Guillain Barr is because one day I woke up, half of my face was paralyzed. I was having trouble thinking and having trouble walking. Mm. And the doctors went, she's, I mean, we'll give her an MRI, maybe stroke, maybe MS, maybe in Guillain Bar. Like, so, you know, I got to run that this fun rabbit hole. So Angie's bringing up a bunch of triggers, but carry on. Sorry. No, you're fine. To, you're be, fine. to be fair, I didn't know this the first time I told the story. And I'm only retelling the story oh, not God. to traumatize her, but because new information or newish information has since come out. I mean, and look, I've done a lot of mean things to Angie. I've talked about a lot of evil things. And truly, yep, I've earned this. <laughs> Carry on. Um, so that being said, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with the um, syndrome, the Mayo Clinic has this to say. It is a rare disorder in which your body's immune system attacks your nerves. Weakness and tingling in your hands and feet are usually the first symptoms. It can be triggered by infections such as any number of viruses that Alexander could have come into contact with. The damage prevents nerves from transmitting signals to your brain, causing weakness, numbnesses, numbness, or paralysis. So it's very possible that he laid there for six days after they thought he died, not decomposing because, you know, he wasn't actually dead. He wasn't dead. dead yet. Fully aware mentally, but unable to communicate it. In now, ancient okay. Greece, go ahead. Now, hold sorry. on. I feel like I feel like I interrupted a very key part. So Alexander, great, Alexander the Great dies. Purported, purposedly. Yes. Purportedly. That's what I'm looking for. And they lay him out in state. Mm hmm. For many, many days. At least six. Days beyond what they would normally do. Yes. And they note, hey, he ain't getting stinky or sticky. No. And in fact, he is mm -hmm. looking as beautiful as we've ever seen Alexander look, right? Yeah. And that that is fairly problematic to modern scholars because we look at this and go, dear God, he was still alive. Yeah. Um, however, in ancient Greece, they didn't look for a pulse, but rather signs of breath so this syndrome basically takes over your nerves right and and eventually can completely paralyze you meaning that your breath is also very um lessened so even if they're trying to find it he's in a resting state and can't do anything about it yeah so imagine you're you're a modern human who has gone through the, well, we need to chase this rabbit hole down and roll a bunch of things out. And you're thinking, I could have been buried alive. I know. Ser yeah, seriously. The other thing I, w I think is worth pointing out that I, I don't know if I did previously, but given his birth and what they thought of his um, conception, it's not hard for me to think that perhaps there were people among him already that just assumed because he's a demigod, that he's not going to deteriorate the way that a normal human would after death, right? He's not going to decompose. Man. Okay. Like, I love this theory. I love this theory, but I'm going to recognize that humans have always humaned. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't think, oh, you know what? Um, 
Christ, Christ, we don't need to bury him. Just put him up on this, put his head on a spike. What? Just put a whole pole, like stand him upright, put him in the corner of the church. We're going to have a great time. Like we we're like, you know what? We need to do the burial practices. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Am I making sense? Yeah, no, I got you. Um, and, and in their case, um, he would have, I'm trying to find the, the amount of days. I believe it's six days. He would have laid in some type of state for six days. So he had six days of basically being, um, paralyzed and not having any ability to communicate that he was actually still breathing and functioning mentally. Um, and yeah, then so paralyzed, aware of what's happening around him, listening to people fully aware and going, I haven't shook my mortal coil yet. Yeah. Right. So you have that first six days and then there is an additional six days is the way that I'm 12? understanding it. Yeah. So they have their, this like, story's worse. <laughs> the six days of them. Well, because they, they keep him laid out trying to determine like, is he alive? Is he dead? What are we doing? Right. And then you have your laying in state days. I don't know that it's called laying in state at that time, but. You know, it works right. for me. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, accounts of his last few days state that he had all his mental faculties, like I said, um, almost till the end. He could blink and twitch a finger up until the coma set in. And then then he laid there for an additional six days. So he had the six days and then went into a coma, laid there for six days, and then laid there for six more. So I'm not saying he looked dead for that many days. I'm saying that at the very end of them thinking he was alive, he could still blink. But then he couldn't. I hate all of this. Yeah. Super gnarly, right? So they likely believe he was buried alive. Yeah, he was buried alive. That's that's the... That's the romanticized version. Yeah, that's the reason. The man you know and love. Buried buried, alive. Buried alive, yeah. Which got me today thinking about, you know, I never really thought about before where our boy Alexander was buried. I don't know why. Like, the thought never crossed my mind before. You never find a grave, Alexander the Great? (laughs) Go pay my respects. I just assumed, I guess, like... He had such a monumental life. I assumed he had multiple burial spots. I thought not in what? that like he his not that like he multiple moved. memorial spots or multiple yeah burial multiple spots. memorial okay, spots. That, Sorry, not very different spots. things. Yeah, in that like multiple peoples could pay their say, respects. Like, we lop off his hindquarters, bury him in Asia. Well, okay. So now that you say that, <laughs> I Ups, did. We need to lop off my hindquarters and bury him in Asia. Add that to the will. Put that in there, please, and thank you. The front part will still have the Viking funeral pyre. Thank you so much. That's all I want. <laughs> so I I did I I googled a little today to see if there was any more recent um, news, and I came up with this article from the Greek Reporter, giving kind of a breakdown of what happened after he died. Oh, so God. they say that. He initially was buried in Memphis, Egypt, by Ptolemy, one of his generals. Okay. Later, in the 4th or early 3rd century BC, during the early um, Ptolemaic 
dynasty, his body was transferred from Memphis to Alexandria, where his sarcophagus was placed in the seraphim complex built by none other than Pharaoh Nicotanbo II, which I think is interesting because history also allegedly has him being the man on the run that um, seduced his mother in the first place. Clearly, that is the legend, right? So Daddy Dearest digs him up. I mean, if we're to believe okay. the legend, but that is strictly him him seducing the mother's strictly legend. That means he was really old. Okay, Ari, yeah. Ari, carry on. But like I said, that part's just legend. However, they do know that he, he was placed in this complex that was built by that pharaoh. Alexandria is considered by most to be the actual, like, final location of Alexander the Great's tomb. However... Several Roman empires have also um, acknowledged the greatness of Greece, if you will, and the conqueror of Asia. And in their attempts to, I don't know, show respects, pay their offerings, what you want to call it, they've all visited his quote-unquote tomb. Julius Caesar visited his tomb in 48 BC to pay his respects. Queen Cleopatra is said to have taken gold from his tomb to finance her war against Emperor Octavian. What kind of balls do you have to do that? Um, Brass ovaries. Clearly. Clearly. I mean, because honestly, homeboy ain't doing nothing with it. Yeah, he doesn't need it anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? So after Cleopatra's death, Augustus also visited Alexander's burial space excuse me, burial place. He is said, however, to have placed flowers on the tomb and gave the general a golden diadem upon his head, which I think uh, really just is beautiful. I mean, okay, like that's quite a commitment because that's probably got like a big old like cover on it. And you're gonna be like, I suspect I need seven people to pick that up. I suspect he laid it atop the head of the sarcophagus. He didn't actually have the lid removed. I do not like any of your interpretations of any of my <laughs> assumptions of what is happening here. Okay, but if you want that out. Wax you... seal just fisted up the <laughs> uterine, not uterine, but up the vaginal wall. You interpret it how you want. I'm not stopping you. Uh, Caligula is said to have visited the tomb, but while he was there, he took his breastplate because Caligula, why not? Right? Caligula. Right. Hashtag Caligula. Yeah. In 199 AD, Septimus Severus visited the tomb in Alexandria and ordered it to be sealed to stop ongoing looting. To stop Caligula from coming back and taking (laughs) the rest. Yeah. Uh, Another state, excuse me, statement says that in 215 AD items from his tomb were relocated by Caracalla who removed Alexander's tunic his ring, his belt, and some other items and he um, he deposited them onto the coffin. So I'm I don't know so why he, you he take took it off out. the person and then put it on the coffin. That doesn't make sense to me. He took it out, got but... busted, and put him on the coffin. I was just putting him here. Just putting him here. <laughs> Mom, yeah. Mom. Caligula, stop Quit it. screaming. Probably, yeah, I imagine that's probably closer to what happened. Click it, bring the best plate back. We got to <laughs> bring the whole back. thing back. Yep. <laughs> and then in 356, a tsunami. After a series of earthquakes, 
inundates the city and it results in rising sea levels. At this point, the waters of the Nile cause Alexandria to slowly sink as much as 12, excuse me, as much as 12 feet since the time of Alexander. Mm. At this point, it's now believed that the burial ground of Alexander must have sunk quite deep into the seabed, along with much of the ancient city on top of which the modern day Alexandria now sits. Which leads us to a couple of other beliefs. Um, There have been 140 separate investigations to find his tomb which i think is really interesting they've announced done by people who live in their mother's basement um well if you are counting like men that were probably men of leisure gentlemen of wealth then several i would i would think okay um, but time and time again, nothing concrete has been really determined. There is a belief that it is actually entombed in Venice in the, in the, um, the city's St. Mark's Cathedral. However, that theory is not really liked by many people. Um, there is... <laughs> It's possible, though, that who is buried there is actually the final resting place of Mark, with whom the tomb is the cathedral is named after, which I think is interesting. I mean, that checks. Name the place after the bones upon whom it's built on. Most uh, cathedrals work that way, I think. It mainly sits to some degree in relics or another. There's beliefs, again, that his tomb is in Memphis, in the Seraphim complex. There's plenty of places he could be buried however it is now believed that he is probably more closely related to actually the sitter the city center of ancient alexandria and they have recently found a stone uh, statue that fits the bust of alexander the great that is his like um, iconic look so they're believing that they are getting closer and closer to finding what could actually be his final, final resting place. So they basically uncovered a statue and went, classic Alexander. Well, so his statuary is unique to him based on his hair, among other things. But um, archaeology and, and the studies that I'm sorry, the disciplines that study him specifically have found very unique to Alexander the Great things from the image on his coin to paintings. It's really easy to spot Alexander the Great in his imagery. So this statue that they found at the time right now, um, I believe all they have access to is the head. And it is very, very Alexander the Great-y. So they're going to continue digging, and who knows, we might hear in the next little while that they have actually finally found the actual resting place of my buried alive friend. Yeah, sorry, bud. (laughs) It is sad, but there's, there's my story of Alexander the Great. And the worst part was, like, knowing, hey, they chase down like your doctors have chased down this possible diagnosis in your med chart and had they come to this conclusion this could have been your fate that like broke me and i spent like days going hubs 
you're not going to bury me alive, are you? Do you know how to check for this? <laughs> I'm so sorry I did that to you. And now I'm so sorry I brought it back to you. I thought you just no, no, didn't like no. it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going, you know, um, Mike knows your number. He'll, he'll be able to let you know how I feel. <laughs> sorry. We were in Victorian times. Friend? I would, I would do some cocaine about it, but you know. <laughs> uh, are we still going to meet next week? Yeah, we're still going to meet next week because, I mean, I've tortured you so much worse. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Terere was pretty bad, but at least I'm not diagnosed with puppy eating syndrome. Oh, my gosh. Knowing that talking about Terere on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, generated 10% of our last month's listens (laughs) to be on Terere have cracked me up. So by the way, if you are listening to this, congratulations. But if you are not listening to this and you are reaching out going, I see on LinkedIn that you talk about having a podcast. I would love to be a guest on your podcast and you could be a guest on mine. It'd be, I'd be a benefit for your audience and I'm sure you'd be a treasure for mine. Really? Really, Mark? I'm not sure you would be. Um, have you listened to episode 19 by chance? Well, what are your topics? Uh, <laughs> Terari eats a puppy, and that's not even the worst part. So mm, can you yeah. compete? Can you compete with Terari? And my other mate really likes to tell messed up curse stories. Yeah. And or legendary or... Uh, birth stories. So if you're going to talk to me about OKRs and KPIs, you can hit the deck, because that's not what we're here for. No, yeah, we can just call someone about that. Yeah. Rub some cream <laughs> on that nonsense. Huh. Absolutely. <laughs> If you've enjoyed listening to this and you can't believe that we just said rub some cream on it, or you're thinking, OKRs, KPIs, I don't want to know anything more. You're one of our people. Um, You can rate, review, subscribe. You can email us. We'd love to hear from you. And on that note, goodbye. Bye-bye.